Welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast, the podcast that's all about cops. I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. You have tuned in, undoubtedly, to the most informational law enforcement podcast out there today because we'll talk to real cops, some active, some retired, and we'll get the inside story on law enforcement. There you go. Well, you, welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast today. Now, we have, speaking of real cops, we've got a real cop on the line with us today, and we're so pleased to have Pierce County Sheriff's Deputy Dennis Robinson. Dennis, welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast. Thank you, Bill. Now, just for the audience listening, uh, Pierce County is in Washington State. It's the second largest county in the state, and it takes in, the major city it takes in is Tacoma, Tacoma, Washington, and it goes all the way from the area, uh, from the beautiful Puget Sound, all the way up to a beautiful Mount Rainier, lovely part of the country, although it does rain a little bit. But anyway, (laughs) Dennis and I have a lot in common because... Pierce County Sheriff's Department is the department that I'm retired from. So we do have a lot in common there. Now, I am sitting here. I'm bringing this to you from behind the stainless steel titanium microphone in the Boys in Blue studio in Mesa, Arizona. Dennis, where are you right now? I'm in Cleelum, Washington. It's central Washington on the east side of the pass. And... uh, Snowy and beautiful, and and uh, got my feet up. Now this fire. is this is your eastern compound. This is some distance from Pierce County. Is that correct? Yeah, it takes us about an hour and forty-five minutes to two hours to get over here. And this is a ranch. You have acreage there. And I remember last yeah. summer I was up that way. You weren't there. You were working, so you couldn't. This is a place you go to escape when you're off duty. Is that correct? That is right. <laughs> now let me ask you this: six acres and six acres and what? Six acres and a and a nice view, and and it's a great getaway. Perfect, perfect. I saw pictures of elk running through your property and that sort of thing. So it's a beautiful place. Yes. I was up there last summer. You were working, but I tried to find your place. Now, you tell me. I saw a place, and I thought, that's got to be where Dennis lives. Because there was a sign on the gate. It said, uh, no trespassing. If we find you here at night, they'll find you here in the morning. <laughs> Is that your place? <laughs> no, but I think I better get that sign. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I thought, well, that might, that might be. No, you know our place. place. We have a uh, we have a weather vane up on the shop, and it's a pig, well, and uh, that was there that was there when we got the place, and I thought it was fitting. Well, that's not no disrespect, yeah. Matt. No, now tell me, um, you have been with the Pierce County Sheriff's Office how long now, Dennis? It'll be thirty-two years in June. Thirty-two years. So you probably know a little bit about law enforcement, huh? Yeah, a I little put, bit. I now see. We didn't really work together that much. Um, different units, and I was kind of leaving, and you were coming, and but we did get to know each other on the police unity tour. 
And that is a bicycle ride that raises money for the Police Memorial Fund in Washington, D.C. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the Police Unity Tour, how you got involved and what, what that involves? I could. Well, I've been on the Honor Guard. Um, I'm not on it anymore, but I did 24 years on the Honor Guard. So honoring their, their, their fallen officers was a big thing. And uh, the Police Unity Tour is a way that each rider on that thing can can honor uh, a specific fallen officer each year. And uh, and we can honor all of them together by raising that money and uh, get together. Most of the chapters start in New Jersey and ride for three to four days to Washington, D.C. And um, we have a great support group. And you got about, uh, what, 2,500 people total riding into Washington, D.C. on the final day with all the chapters you know, together. You know, a lot of people don't realize uh, that, that the police memorial is there in Washington, D.C. And I always equate it to people. It's much like the Vietnam Wall. You have a large uh, area there where all the fallen officers' names are etched into the memorial wall there. And Police Week, which is the in May every year, cops, I think there's probably like 40,000 policemen in Washington, D.C. for that. And so that's where that we ride our bikes from New Jersey. And our first night's like Philadelphia, the second night's in Baltimore, and then we arrive in uh, D.C. But there's other chapters that come from different directions. There's some, I rode one year with the, the chapter out of Virginia. They come up from the south to Washington, D.C. Right. And we all gather at RFK Stadium, all the chapters meet, and then we ride two by two into that memorial. And there's like, like you say, over 2,000 of us. And I'll tell you what, it's quite an impact. And we honored uh, officers that would have fallen in the past. Plus, the ones that fell that year, uh, their names will be etched in the wall. Uh, we, and we never forget them, that's for sure. So you were with the Honor Guard 24 years. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's how I got to know you better than anything uh, through the Police Unity Tour, but not to mention that uh, two or three times a year I get up to Washington State, and we always get together with the guys and have a cigar and a cool one. <laughs> and that's yes, a special that's time for sure. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, Dennis, what is your current assignment with Pierce County Sheriff's Department? Well, my current assignment, hopefully my final one, is a background investigator in the hiring unit. So um, just doing background investigations on potential candidates we're trying to bring on for, for uh, not just for deputy sheriff, but for corrections and uh, office assistant, any position inside the sheriff's department. We do a background on Okay, yeah. So now let me go back a little bit now. Where were you raised? Were you raised in Washington State there in Pierce County? I was a I was a preacher's kid born in Montana. We moved to Iowa for a few years, and when I was 11 years old, we moved to Tacoma, Washington, and uh, I was there ever since. So Tacoma, Washington, what high school did you go to? Went to Wilson High School in Tacoma. Wilson, wow. Well, I was Montahoma. I was Montahoma brat there, so <laughs> well, I was raised on the I was raised on the east side, over in the Lincoln area, 
that won't mean much to your listeners, but uh, I, I bust across to Wilson to, I don't know, my dad thought I needed a better education over there. I'm not sure if it was or not. Well, you know, it's, it's nice to have that input. That was a little better area of town. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, yeah it was. So you were a preacher's kid. Did you ever have a uh, calling to go into the ministry? None what well, I shouldn't say that. I went to Bible college for one year. I didn't have any intent on going any longer than that or being a preacher. And uh, I remember the president of the Bible college telling me he thought I'd make a great preacher. And, and uh, I dismissed that as fast as he said it because it, it wasn't my intent. It wasn't something I wanted to do. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good news is, and someone reminded me of this the other day, um, uh, we always, uh, we should tell everybody about the Savior and if necessary, use words. <laughs> so something about, I like something, that. About the, something about the way we live our life is, uh, that's being a preacher too, maybe not behind a pulpit. But now you had some military experience. I went in the Marine Corps when I got out of high school in the reserves, and uh, we were, that was during the Cold War. So I, I call myself a U.S. Marine because I'd never left the United States. Wow. Wow. So what was that like? Now, see, um, I was never officially in the service. Now, I tell people I was in the Army for 18 years. I tell people that. <laughs> Yeah. The simple fact that my father was a retired master sergeant in the Army. I mean, we're talking old Army. And as long as I was under his roof, it was very much like being in boot camp. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but that discipline uh, helped me a lot. As, uh, it's, it's what life threw at us. What was it like to be in the Marines? Like going through, you hear so much about the boot camp and that sort of thing. Oh, the boot camp is, is tough, but I, you know, it, it was relatively short. I mean, it's three or two and a half, three months, somewhere in there. And, uh, once you're out of there, you're a Marine. And, uh, I was a reservist at a time of peace. So my experience was way different than anybody else's. I went to uh, tank school in Kentucky and, uh, then I would travel to Yakima, Washington for my drills to, to go play Marine on the weekends and drive around in tanks and shoot things up. And, uh, that's basically my experience of it. Wow. Okay. So you were very young when you became a deputy sheriff. 21 years old. 21 years old. Isn't that amazing? Now I was about 22 when I started and looking back on those days, I thought, man, how did I survive? Well, I knew nothing. <laughs> about life you know so it is an amazing thing how they transforms you and uh how our mentors are so important to us let me ask you this what attracted you to law enforcement well i had a uh, a chief of police that went to our church when i lived in iowa his name was everett Gokenauer, and of course he died many years ago but um, he was an inspiration to me and then i also had I can't remember if it was two or three of my uncles on my mother's side were Michigan State policemen. And uh, one of them in particular uh, had a big impact on my childhood when we would visit them out in Michigan and Ontario, Canada. So did you, was he an active 
policeman then? No, he was retired actually when I was a kid and um, uh, retired Michigan State Police and just he was a older uncle figure in my life that uh, and and the others too, but he has that personality. You know, you have your favorite relatives. Sure, sure. So I'm thinking perhaps he was telling you a lot of war stories that just kind of made your hair stand on end and got you got you uh, thinking about being a policeman yourself. Yep, somewhat. And then the other the other part of it was I didn't particularly like college at all, and I was thinking of something that would make my my life secure, a career where I could have benefits and a good paycheck, and maybe not have to go to college. And as it turned <sighs> out, uh, I pulled it off. Wow, wow. Well, you went to school in a different way. That's all. Yeah, that's sure. correct. Yeah. So now, tell me about the assignments. Obviously. Uh, Pierce County is like most departments. They start everybody in patrol. That's so right. you start you start out in patrol. And how long how long were you in patrol? I think I was in patrol about uh, three or four years before I went to our civil unit. In the civil unit, we serve process of the court, um, divorce papers, restraining orders, eviction orders, uh, you name it. And uh, I did that for two to three years. And then, uh, then I went back to patrol until I became a traffic enforcement officer. And um, about 15 years of my career was in traffic, uh, investigating collisions, and writing tickets and doing DUI enforcement. Wow. Wow. Um, so after traffic, 15 years of that, then you went where? Well, I went back to patrol for a little bit, and then uh, then I was in our uh, court security unit. Our courthouse was pretty big, uh, nine floors, and um, we patrolled the courthouse on foot for disturbances, um, people that are mad about their divorce or um, criminal courts where your victim's family is trying to beat up on the suspect or whatever. Anything that would happen in that courthouse, mentally ill people causing a, a problem, we would go deal with that. Wow, wow. So I could, any, any minute, it's going to be erupt. Yeah, oh boy. Yeah, people don't realize. I, I think but, I, would choose, I would choose being in a patrol car out on the street any day over that, uh, looking back, because you're, you're in a fishbowl there, and all the, all the germs are coming to the fishbowl, if you know what I mean. Sure, sure. I think of that. Um, it's one of the things that it's hard to explain to someone that hasn't been a police officer on the street, especially. The fact that it becomes, um, it's hard to put it into words or articulate it. Some people are better at it than, than I am. But after a while, you can read a situation. You can almost tell it's going to happen. And you see this stuff building up, and the general population around you, they're totally oblivious to it. You see things are escalating, things are escalating, and you can just tell when things are going to go off here. And, you know, that puts you on pins and needles because you, you can't do anything until it does. <laughs> but you right. can almost read a crowd, you know, who's going to be the problem. And you can see it escalate. And, uh, you know, so many times I see, on like, on the news, uh, we had one recently here locally in Mesa. Uh, 
the news has a video of the guy. It just it looks like he's just standing there. But I'm watching this guy, and you can see his body movement, his body That's language right. is telegraphing a million different things. And to the civilian, they think, well, he was just standing there, and they just jumped on him. Well, no, they saw he was getting ready to leap, and they beat him to the jump. Because you could see right. him shift, shift his weight, dart his eyes around. You know, you could just, I said, here it comes. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But you try to explain that to a civilian, and of course, you don't blame them because they don't deal with that every day. But boy, I tell you, you can, I can see that court issue. Uh, you can really be on pins and needles. That, that would be more stressful than at least a police car. You yeah. drive away to the next one anyway. Yeah, and a courtroom's very small for that thing to erupt in. You know, out on the street, you got a parking lot or a baseball field or a, a street where people can run and fight there and open up in a room and. Uh, little kids in there and you got to worry about them and uh, uh. well you know i see dennis uh how your presence i know that you're what six two and 250 probably no i'm more like 511 and 275 so no more around <laughs> than what you just described <laughs> i was just stretching you out a little bit <laughs> but you know I you, do get appreciate guy, it. <laughs> <laughs> you get a guy your size in there and that's a deterrent to begin with now I was always, uh, I considered myself bare minimum size wise. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't scare very many people, you know, with my size or. What's all that fitness stuff you do? Well, you know what? We all find our niche, don't we? So I spent all those yeah. years in canine because I was, I could run like the wind and keep up with that dog. Right. <laughs> but anyway, I can see how that. Now, of all your assignments, sir, you got patrol, civil, lots of years in traffic then the court, and now um, uh, background investigations. What was your favorite one? What, which one did you like the by, best? By far, for me, it was the traffic position. Uh, investigating crashes was something that just exercised my mind. It gave me a lot of satisfaction. But uh, DUI enforcement, when you're out at night and you got to arrest a DUI, um, you, you really had a feeling like you're saving that person or you're saving the people they could have run into. You, you feel like you're impounding that car, getting it off the road, getting the driver off the road. And I made a difference tonight. I never felt that way necessarily, even arresting somebody for armed robbery. Um, maybe different people feel different, but uh, that was huge to me because I knew that person was potentially going to wreck some lives. And sure. By by turning the lights on and pull them over, I got to stop that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, preventative. That's for sure. Protect and serve. That's a major thing. And people don't look at it that way a lot of times. But that that is so important. I mean, look at the mayhem that could have been. Was uh, right. I'm not trying to wreck time. anybody's fun. No. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> What's worse, getting busted for DUI or being charged with manslaughter because you ran into somebody and killed them? Exactly right. Yeah, so you're doing everybody a favor. Now, D Dennis, let me ask you, did you ever uh, have uh, the desire to do some testing for maybe a sergeant's position or detective or move up the ranks in that way? You know, I did. Uh, I've always heard that a sergeant is the best position in the police department or the sheriff's department, not just my department. I've always heard that sergeant's the best job ever. And so that was probably my goal. Um, mm -hmm. But it just it just never happened. I never took the test. 
Um, a lot of people might say why, I don't know why. Um, cause you would have to study kind of same reason I didn't go to college, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, I was at the times when I probably should have taken it. I was happy where I was. And then by that time I would have been a, a junior sergeant and kicked around, uh, to whatever position they needed me in. And, and I was a senior deputy. I didn't want that. Well, I can tell you right now, I can tell you, I can tell you right now where you would be, you would be on graveyard with Wednesday and Thursday off. (laughs) That's that's exactly right. And in charge of the, uh, in charge of the public disclosure unit, no less. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They stick you, stick you with responsibilities that no one would want as a junior sergeant. So it's kind of like starting your, uh, uh, seniority all over again. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and I think that's important because we need guys with veterans with experience on the street. You know, I mean, um, a lot of times guys move up so quick and they're talented and then they uh, could have done really well on the on the street. Even no matter where they went, they were good. But I can remember uh, I don't know how it is now, but it used to be. Sergeant and detective were the same uh, rank and pay and all that sort of thing. Is that still the way it is? Oh, it it changed at one point. They made detective a little lower paid, an investigator rank, and then they came up with a title called detective sergeant. So that person was had the ability to supervise, and they made the same money as a sergeant. Oh, so I see. for a while, you're right. Detectives and sergeants were equal pay. Then they made detective sort of a lower rank. It was still a promotion, but uh, to an investigator level that just got a little bit more money. I see. I see. But I remember uh, the guys that got into detectives, so many of them, they didn't, they were they were happy where they were at. They get the same pay as a sergeant, and they never That's took right. any, more, any more tests because they liked it. You know, I mean, their investigative skills and all that, so they just never. Yeah, at that time, that was a great job to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So traffic investigation, that was pretty interesting to you. So um, where do you see yourself? Like, I know you got 32 years on, and I don't know how much longer you want to go. You never know for sure. But um, how much longer do you think you might go with the department? I'm expecting to retire in uh, June of 2020. And I think that uh, I'll still have to work because I need medical and dental benefits. We don't have that in Washington State. Mm-hmm. And I'll need a little bit of a paycheck and something to keep busy. So mm-hmm. I would like to get as far away from law enforcement as I can and maybe do something in the insurance field or something like that. Sure, sure. You know, a lot of uh, there's a lot of guys that uh, have that traffic background for uh, accident reconstruction that sort of thing that uh, they do well in the private industry. Uh, same with the fire department. Some of the arson investigators, yep. after they retire, they go to work for insurance and that sort of thing. Now, do you plan, how, how far are you along on that? And one of the things I always like to uh, talk to guys about, because um, I, I have a, I'm a certified life coach, and my side gig is uh, lifestyle transitions where uh, I, I help guys like, that are making that transition from retirement into civilian world. And so many of them don't have a plan or 
uh, they think, well, I'm just going to go fishing or something. And, you know, after a while, that, that gets kind of boring and they don't realize yep. that. But you start talking to them. OK, well, OK, you've been fishing for six weeks now. Now, you know, what's going to give you purpose in life? What's going to get you out of bed in the morning? You know, that sort of thing. So let me ask you, um, do you, have you investigated the traffic investigation situation? I have a little bit. You mean as far as in my career or uh, no? Or for when after, you, for, after yeah, work. after you after you after you go. Well, I have I've gone all the way through uh, collision um, to to collision reconstruction in my training mm-hmm. in police work. So I hope I hope that'd be helpful to me. I have not looked into it as far as uh, as far as contacting insurance companies and going after it. I did uh, complete a resume that. Uh, you know, I haven't done a resume in 32 years, and uh, I did my own resume because I wanted it to reflect me and my experiences, and uh, hopefully that uh, will help me out. I was kind of waiting for the first of the year uh, to make some contacts and, and see about uh, about work, but then there's a possibility I could be extended in the job I'm in for a year uh, with the sheriff's department, and I'd stay another year if that was the case. So. I have okay. to keep all my options open. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm just I'm I'm happy that you're thinking ahead and stuff and making some. Do you know anybody that's a traffic investigator for an insurance company? No, I I don't. I've had a lot of people uh, had a lot of people have that goal and want to go that direction. I think that uh, I think their goals were maybe higher than mine, like being a uh, a reconstructionist for the insurance company, I wouldn't mind just working as an adjuster, you know, checking out some car damage and uh, and doing my reports and stuff. I yeah, I just want I just want a job. I don't want mm. three hundred an hour to testify in court. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think some guys have higher goals than I do. I see. Well, you know what? That's always potential. You might look into it and say, "Wow, you know that that is a pretty good gig." Who knows? But it's uh, well. If you're going to give me three hundred an hour, Bill, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> See, now there you go. You're making yourself small. Why'd you stop at three hundred? You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> we got to think big here, Dennis. Well, anyway, you know, um, there's a, a a gentleman by the name of Ken Coleman. He wrote a wonderful book called The Proximity Principle. And that is you get around people that are doing what you think you might want to do. And you hang out with them a little bit and find out, well, what exactly is it like? What does it take? What is it? What's the potential? Um, a lot of times people, they think, well, I want, I'd like to do that. And they look into it and then they maybe shadow a guy doing it for a while, just, you know, getting his sure. contacts. And then they find out, man, I don't want to do that. That's terrible. <laughs> I don't want nothing to do with that. Or they think, wow, this has been here all the time. I wish I would have known this five years ago. Jeez. And they fall in love with it. So you never know. But also during that process of uh, the proximity principle, just being the proximity of what you're thinking you want to do, you wouldn't believe how many different paths open up. Uh, you know, you're shadowing a guy doing something. You think maybe that'd be cool. And then he's working with a guy that's doing something a little bit different. And you like that even better. I mean, it's just the options are endless once you start uh, getting into action and taking that. But I think okay. that's wonderful that you're thinking about it. And if you got extended, oh, shoot. I mean, 
background investigation. That's that's a pretty good gig for you know after thirty two years. It's a good job. I, I yeah. Well, tell me something now. As far as that's one of the things this podcast is all about, and you're in a perfect position to give us some insight on this. And that's what we're after, some insight from real cops that have been there and know what's going on. You're interviewing people, you're looking at their resumes, you're looking at their applications, and you're doing background on them. And a lot of people think, well, what is it that attracts these people to being a police officer? And what kind of people qualify and what kind of people don't? So what would you say, uh, from your experience in doing backgrounds and that, What's the qualifications for a really good cop? What makes a good cop? Well, it's tough because it's case-by-case basis. But if a young man or woman comes in front of us, they're motivated. Um, We're not looking for somebody who's got the perfect, clean record their entire life. Kind of like I was when I came on. I was a preacher's kid and I hadn't really done anything wrong. That's not a good candidate. Um, Somebody who's had a little bit of a life experience. Maybe been in a fight or two, but, uh, but it's in the past. It's not in the recent three years. You know, some of the mistakes you've made, you made them five or 10 years ago. Um, I think that's a good candidate. Somebody that's really uh, shown improvement, the, the visible improvement where you can measure it and kind of see what kind of person this was 10 years ago. Look at what kind of person they are today. And uh, I guess that would be, the most important thing to a good candidate. So military plays a big part because they've I been think out military there. Is a, military guys are great coming in. I think there's more issues now. We've had a lot of war lately. And, and so some of the times uh, military folks are your best candidates. I mean, they're going to be. But sometimes now they have mental health issues that need to be dealt with. And that has caused some problems. That's that's just the unfortunate part of war. Um, Well, they have the they have the structure of uh, command structure, and uh, they've had to they've had to abide by rules and policies and that sort of thing. So they got an idea. They just you know they're not living at home with their mom still. (laughs) They've been out (laughs) exactly right. Yeah, I think the life experience thing is that that counts for a lot. A lot of people wonder, well, you know, what makes a cop and what draws a person to law enforcement? Why would they want to take that risk, you know? And and it does take a special person, I think, uh, and someone that just falls in love with it. I know I was like you. I had mentors that were relatives and uh, the old guys. Well, I tell you, they tell stories. Oh, my goodness. Uh, back yes. in the days when they – well, when I started, we didn't have portables, you know, um, but back in those days, uh, like my, I had a relative that was a Lexington, Kentucky police officer. They had a call box every two blocks. Yes. And he walked the beat. <laughs> well, you know, so, we you know, consider ourselves we consider ourselves old, and when we get together and smoke cigars and share stories, those old guys, you know, still entertain us. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Well, like. You know, it is a new world, and younger guys can uh, adapt a little better than, you know, um, like uh, I think we talked before, we wouldn't want to start over again right now. But uh, we sure got some good memories, and 
I think law enforcement is a wonderful career. It's very rewarding. And for people that, yep. uh, if it fits them, fine. Not everybody's meant to be a policeman. And, and uh, so, but let me ask you this. Say you run into a new recruit. He's a brand new recruit. He's there. So it's not like he's making up his mind if he's going to be a policeman or not. He wanted to, and there he is. What advice or words of wisdom would you give to a new recruit, Dennis? That's a hard one, but, uh, you know, I, I'd bring up the, the story of the, the sheep and the sheepdog and the wolf, remind them that they're always going to be a sheepdog no matter what. Um, you know, I guess unless you take your gun off and you're, you're not able to fight and you become a sheep and, uh, but uh, I don't know what advice at this point because it's a different day and age. It's a different mm -hmm. time frame. And I'd want to be positive. And like you said, I wouldn't trade my career for anything. But if I had to start it over today, I wouldn't do it. Well, you know, um, and, uh, when you look at the uh, – now, I've seen you work with the Honor Guard. I've seen you when you brought all the people along on the Police Unity Tour. Uh, you were the senior guy there. You, what did you have, six or eight – Guys on that riding on that team with you from Pierce on that County. Team, yeah, I think we had that about that many. Yeah, Pierce County yeah. Lakewood, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, uh, your leadership skills, Dennis, I think you shortchange those. I think you have a lot of mentorship. Uh, and I look at uh, your background. I mean, she was patrol, civil, traffic, and uh, reconstructionist, and then the court detail, no backgrounds. I mean, that's a very career. You've seen. You've seen it all there. I mean, you've got a lot to offer some young recruits. Yeah. And I know you'd probably tell them to mix it up just like you did. I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm I know sure about after a year or two, you're ready to get out of civil. That sounds pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't very fun, no. I mean, I still have stories from it, but uh, no, these, I'm just, you know, you, all you can do is pray for these kids that have the energy to come out and take care of, take care of our people. Oh, and, yeah. and that's how yeah. you look at them. They're kids. And uh, thank God they're there. Thank God they have the energy to do it. Well, I tell you, yeah. Yeah, you know what? We're still 18 on the inside, but boy, I tell you, I, mean, I don't have to go <laughs> jumping over block walls and fences anymore. So God bless them, kids. You're right. They do need our prayers. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, now let me ask you this. What, if you were to be made sheriff tomorrow, what would you change on your department? That's a good question. Huh? I don't. That's a <laughs> tough one. I think, I think the sheriff and, and it, this would probably never work in the Pacific Northwest. We're, we're a little bit liberal politically out here, but a sheriff needs to be the type of sheriff you see down South that, uh, you know, kind of my opinion of a judge. You need to know a judge is a judge because that's their courtroom and they're in charge of what's going on there. They need to do what's right, but you need to know they're the boss. And I think, uh, I don't know what I would change on my department right now, but if I was the sheriff, you'd know I was the sheriff and I wouldn't be a jerk about it, but, but you'd know I was in charge. How about that? <laughs> you know what I hear you saying? I hear you saying the guys know I got their back. For sure. That's what I think sure. I hear you saying, Dennis, because I know you. And, if, and, and God forbid if one of those cops becomes a wolf. Sure. 
Would you come down just as hard on them as you would anybody? But that, that's right. That's yeah, right. but you know, but uh, so much anymore, they're ready to hang the cops out before they've had a chance to. You know, they saw it was part of a video or something. But you're right. I think you're right. Uh, that'd be something that you'd want to make totally clear that you got their back yeah. 100%. Yeah. Well, Dennis, I tell you what, it's been such an honor to just have you on the Boys in Blue podcast. Um, we wish you the best. And, of course, I'll be in touch with you. I owe you a cigar okay. just for coming on the podcast with me. And uh, I accept. Yeah. Yeah, and like I say, you get down to Arizona, stop by and visit me at the Boys in Blue studio here. Yeah. <laughs> but Dennis, it's a real pleasure. God bless you, and I'll be in touch with you. So thanks so much for sharing, and uh, we may do a two sometime. Okay, thank you, Bill, for having me on. You bet. Okay, take care, Dennis. Be safe. All right, I'll see you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Boys in Blue podcast. Again, I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. Boys in Blue comes out every other week. Subscribe to the Boys in Blue wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and let us know what you think.